0: Welcome to today's Power Up Your Presence podcast. I'm Diane Craig. And I'm Sandra Corelli. We have designed each and every episode to help you power up, step up, and lead up your presence. A mix of stories, tips, insights, and conversations with trailblazers who speak candidly about their journey to leadership. Welcome to part two of our conversation with Dr. Dave Williams, astronaut, aquanaut, medical surgeon, and an amazing person. Dave has had a fascinating life and career. On the last episode, we talked about the importance of living in the moment, Dave's journey to becoming an astronaut, and what it's like to be in space, learning from failure, and many, many more leadership lessons. Talking
1: about living in space, um, you say that uh, shuttles, despite how complex they are, they function only when the entire team works together and manages the smallest and simplest things. Then you go on saying that the greatest accomplishment always have the most humble origin. Um, What is the lesson you would like all of us to be reminded of?
2: I think the lesson is humility. Mm -hmm. I think uh, from my perspective, there are many different types of leaders Really, truly effective leaders are very humble leaders. And in fact, if you go back and you read about the history of leadership and you look at Ernest Shackleton, the famous Antarctic explorer, he was an individual where he put his team first. He was a very humble leader, but always tried to meet the needs of the team and succeeded remarkably Mm -hmm. when others uh, arguably would have failed. And today, you know, as a CEO, I aspire to be a humble CEO, and I think one of the things that uh, that means is that we learn from our senior team. As astronauts, when we go forward and explore space, we have a commander who's responsible for the entire mission, but many of the commanders embrace the expertise of all the different crew members. So it's a distributed form of leadership. So the commander may be the ultimate leader, but if it's a medical issue, Scott Kelly would turn to me and say, well, Dave, you're the doctor. What do you think? So for this particular set of circumstances, now I'm the leader and the other people on the team are listening to me. And that's a form of leadership that I would refer to as distributed, and it's basically recognizing all the different skills of the people that make up the team. So as a hospital CEO, even though I'm ultimately responsible for the organization, if it was a financial issue, I would defer to my CFO. They know way more about finances than I do. I'm the CEO, they're the CFO. It's their job. So we would defer to their input. And I think that's really important to create a humble environment where people are willing to listen mm. to each other and recognize each other's skills and uh, certainly give credit to uh, where credit's due yeah
1: we often talk about the difference between uh, the arrogant confidence and the humble confidence right the in in people that we watch and display such arrogance it's difficult to to follow them no one wants to be around them and that was one of the things that really struck me with you with you when i first met you maybe eight or nine years ago it was that humble confidence that you had whenever you spoke and um, i was impressed by that and one of your the chapter in your book uh the the title the the title of the chapter is the longest two minutes of my life tell us where you were and what that was like, because I have a sense that that also helped uh, with your humility. Uh, yeah, I'd love to uh, for you to tell us more about that, those two minutes.
2: When you lift off to go into space on the space shuttle, the last thing that you do on the checklist is a T-minus two minutes, and you have two minutes to think about what's going to happen, and of course two minutes later you're going to be sitting on top of seven and a half million pounds of rocket thrust taking you from being stationary uh, flat on your back on the surface of the Earth in the space shuttle to eight and a half minutes later traveling 25 times the speed of sound, which is roughly five miles or eight kilometers every second that's faster than a bullet, and that's a remarkable ride. So. When I was in training, I was very curious. What do you think about in that two-minute time period? Because we've all seen what happened with Challenger. Mm-hmm. We all know intellectually and saw what happened with Columbia and things. Uh, this is pretty scary. So I went around the astronaut office and you know, I never flown in space. I wanted to know what people who'd been in space were thinking. So I said, some people were like, well, you know, it's the longest two minutes of your life. It's incredible. It seems like it just goes on and on forever and time slows down. And then there's other people who say, it's like the fastest two minutes of your life. See, so, you know, I just closed the visor in my spacesuit. I turned the oxygen on, and then we were lifting off and the two minutes just disappeared. And then there's those really pragmatic types. They say, it's two minutes, like so just look at the clock. So for me, yeah. I remember lying flat on my back T-minus two, close the visor, turn the oxygen on. And I'm looking straight up out of the uh, overhead windows thinking, wow, what a beautiful day for a launch. But I had an additional task to do. I had to turn on the cockpit voice recorder. So I did that. That took roughly 15, 20 seconds or so. And then being very type A, I checked it again and then I had to check it a third time. So my first minute was basically turning on the cockpit voice recorder. But then I'm back to enjoying the view. And then at T-minus 30 seconds, I had this huge reality check. You know, that literally within 30 seconds or so, I'm going to be sitting on top of a controlled explosion. But by the time my brain was able to process that information, it was T minus 6.6 seconds. The main engines had started. We were monitoring the performance of the main engines, the solid rocket boosters, then kicked in six seconds later. And at that point, you know you're going someplace really fast.
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) What an experience. And your you, your journey really speaks to the fact that with the right mindset and capabilities, anything is possible. Can you share with us, for those with a fixed mindset, um, what you would say to those people?
2: So, you know, even today, if you read in the business literature, there's people who have a fixed mindset, and then there's those that have the growth mindset. People who see opportunity, people who are willing to have bold visions and go out and try and accomplish really audacious goals. And uh, I think in the business world, Having that growth mindset is probably something that generates greater corporate success than having a fixed mindset. Many people would say, no, that's impossible. If I listened to the people that told me it was impossible. I never would have done any of the things that I did. I would not have become an astronaut because I was told that was impossible. When my marks weren't very good, I was told it was impossible to get into medical school. Fortunately, I just didn't listen to those people. I dismissed them all. And I think the most important thing to remember from this is don't let other people define your dreams for you. Mm, No matter what age you are, They're your dreams. So if you're 85 and you decide you want to start singing in a choir, go sing in a choir. (laughs) For goodness sakes, you know, (laughs) life is short and we have an opportunity to live our lives to the fullest. I'd say embrace the opportunity.
0: It's such an important message not to let other people's limitations of what they think you're capable of become your limitations.
2: Yeah,
0: talking about uh, the
1: uh, capabilities that uh, we have, you also talked about followership. When I first met you, that you weren't talking so much about leadership, but followership. So where did that come from?
2: As astronauts, we're given a lot of training in leadership, but they send us to the National Outdoor Leadership School where we learn not only about leadership, but followership. And followership, first of all, it's an active process. A lot of people think, oh my goodness, thank." I'm I'm not the leader of the team. I'm just part of the team, so I I don't have to work as hard." Well, that's not true at all. As a member of a team, you have responsibilities to the team. You have to come prepared, having read the material, if there's material to read, bringing your ideas, etc. So followership is an active process. In some cases, it requires courage. If I tell the senior team that I'm working with at the hospital or in any CEO environment that I want you to speak up, some people feel intimidated to speak up and give the CEO bad news. Mm -hmm. But you know what, I would rather hear the bad news and be able to figure out a solution than not hear the bad news. So we want people to be able to leverage this opportunity to courageously contribute in a um, multi-professional, interdisciplinary, collaborative environment. That's really to me what followership all about.
0: And it's those environments that really inspire creativity and innovation when you're co creating together, regardless of level within the organization.
2: There's no question. You know, I am um, on the speaking circuit, I do corporate development and things, and often I'll be with a group of 30 people and I'll ask them a question. And nobody in the room wants to answer, right? Because they don't want to be embarrassed (laughs) with the wrong (laughs) answer in front of their friends. And I say, this is, you know, we talked about followership. This is your followership moment. I ask a question. Your obligation is now to answer the question. It doesn't matter who does it. It doesn't even matter if the answer is correct. It's an opportunity to have dialogue around this. Mm -hmm. And then once you point that out to people, then they realize, oh yeah, you're right. You know, like I really should be speaking up and contributing.
0: Though I don't really get a chance to ask this often because I don't know many people that have lived in space and lived underwater, so (laughs) tell us a little bit about (laughs) what it was like to also live underwater. You described that whether in space or undersea, the majestic beauty of our planet was something we came to cherish more and more with each mission. So what was it like? Mm.
2: You know, I was really lucky to be able to explore both final frontiers, the final frontier of space, but also the final frontier of exploring the undersea world. Living underwater is an amazing experience. The biggest difference between living underwater and being in space is underwater. You have neighbors. All the fish become your <laughs> neighbors and things. So yeah. when you're outside on the reef and you're swimming around and you see a school of fish beside you, it's really an incredible thing. And we would go out and do what's called a dawn dive, so you go out before before the sun rises it's generally 5 30 in the beautiful, morning yeah. pitch black and you know you've got flashlights with you and things to make sure you don't get lost and we're using these um, guiding guide ropes on the bottom of the ocean and things to get to where we need to get to on the reef so we tether off and we're lying on the bottom of the ocean and you see this biophosphorescent plankton swimming around beside you glowing in the dark mm, it's just uh. absolutely spectacularly beautiful and then as the sun comes up the water goes from being black black and you can't see anything to then being a very deep, deep purple and then a lighter purple and even more lighter purple. And then finally, it's a shade of blue. And then ultimately, it becomes this beautiful blue turquoise environment. You look up at the surface and it's absolutely spectacular. And you realize what a gift we have to live on such a beautiful planet. You know, I, I wrote a book for children, it's called Destination Space, A Guide to Living on Other Planets in the Solar System. Well, living on Mars would be a lot of fun, but clearly the best planet to live on in our solar system is the Earth.
1: Uh, you know, when I read your book, I, I was I, I was just spellbound by how you described uh, when you were in space or, underwater in this deep sea it it was so captivating and so your roles have evolved right and um, when we talk about the world of work evolving uh, this means a capability that is required of uh, our leadership roles to also evolve what do you feel Are the most important capabilities for leaders today and in the future?
2: It's a great question. Uh, I would say a lifetime love of learning and a passion Mm -hmm. to continuously develop yourself the when i retired as a hospital ceo prior to my retirement maybe a month or so before i was going to retire i was giving a mentoring session to 20 um, mba students that came up to the university mm-hmm. and it was just fantastic you know they they're all university students are incredibly talented really really smart people and they've they're reading the business literature and things so we were having this fantastic dialogue and uh, towards the end of it i asked the group How many hours a week do you think I spend reading and learning and trying to develop myself? And one person put up their hand and said, Well, you know, you're at the end of your career. You're about to retire. (laughs) I'd say probably zero. And I said, Well, you know, I actually spend between 10 and 15 hours a week developing myself. And I think that that's something that's an opportunity for all of us to think about this lifetime love of learning, about continuously improving. I'm one of these people that I love buying books. So whether it's playing the guitar, whether it's going hiking or learning how to water ski or whatever, I'll go out and I'll buy a book. And then I read about that, I get all passionate about it, and then I try and learn uh, from the experiences of others. So generally, I go and take a course, I get trained from people who actually know what they're doing. But it's that lifetime commitment for self-development that I think is really important. And it's the one thing that aligns all astronauts. You know, astronauts, like everybody else, there's a wide range of different personalities. Every astronaut I know loves learning and uh, it's really a lifetime commitment to self-improvement.
1: Yeah, we never stop learning.
0: Yeah, it's really really, living mm -hmm. with wonder and continuing to be curious to inspire that lifelong learning. I have to
1: ask, just as an aside, are you a good golfer?
2: No, I'm a terrible golfer, (laughs) but I'm working on it. (laughs) But I bet you have a
1: PhD in (laughs) golf literature, is that it? (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So in addition to your successful career, you also have a very busy family life. And your wife also has a successful career as a commercial airline pilot. So share with us how you managed both your professional lives and family lives?
2: Well, I could say it's been a journey. Mm. But, uh, you know, I think one of the things we met in 1979, and at that time I was just starting medical school, and Kathy was just starting her flight training. So our careers have paralleled each other's. And it's uh, been tough at times because there's a number of things that kind of have to happen to have this all work out. She needed to be able to go through her flight training. I was changing cities when I was going through my medical training. Fortunately, she was able to continue her flight training and uh, the different cities that we were living in. But I think at the end of the day, it came our success as, a, as individuals in our careers, but also as a couple came from the fact that we were each as committed to the other person's career as we were to mm. our own. And you could see that. You know, when I moved down to uh, Houston to train as an astronaut, there was no question that Kathy was coming. I mean, we're a family, so Kathy came to Houston. What that meant is she had to commute from Houston to Toronto to fly for Air Canada. So she would drive an hour to Houston Intercontinental Airport, fly three hours to get to Toronto, and then you know go and fly her airplane, or wait in Toronto until the next day when she would be flying her airplane. And I remember the Globe and Mail had an article on the worst commutes in Canada. I <laughs> you know <laughs> she, she wins yeah, yeah. she wins yeah.
1: <laughs> you know talking about Kathy I, I and and for our listeners you know i encourage you to get the book because there's so so much more in the book and and i and you talk about when you you first met her in the library i believe and how her dream she was this committed to her dreams as well and and you felt that this was going to work out really well and uh, all of the times that um, you know she supported you uh, whether it was for your career uh, during your the the period where you had to deal with cancer uh, your two beautiful children uh, a life uh, so so full full and inspiring um, I've learned a great deal reading from your book and as I said to you earlier uh, there are moments when I read the book that I had tears in my eyes uh there were other times i was flipping the page and going through oh my gosh i know this man like i mean this is just amazing it's just that um the it's not only inspiration that i think people can get from your book but it's also motivation you know we say that uh the inspiration is um the pull and the motivation is the push and uh, I don't know, maybe I'll go buy a book and learn about guitar. <laughs> like, you know, um, this has uh, been, you know, just so enlightening,
0: Sandra. And so, Dave, how would you say life is today for you?
2: Life is full. Um, You know, I retired from being a CEO. I'm not sure I really like the word retired because it sort of denotes that, you know, we're sitting around not doing anything. And as many retired people will tell you, I'm actually busier now than I was Mm -hmm. before. I would say rather than using the word retire, I actually work for myself. And uh, for the first time in my life, I'm actually working for myself. So I'm on the speaking circuit. I'm writing books. I'm consulting. I'm flying airplanes again. I go to the gym and I'm still doing my same spacewalk workouts that I was doing, you know, 15 years ago and things. And uh, it's fun. Life is just an amazing opportunity as much today as it was when I was younger. And, you know, as we age, the big challenge is, can we age gracefully, adapting what we're able to mm. do to how we're changing as individuals? And uh, so far, I've been really been enjoying that experience.
1: You know, uh, I have a question. What is a spacewalk workout? <laughs> Not that it's hard to be an astronaut, but what is one of the main things that you know it, cons, it consists of?
2: So imagine if you want to do a spacewalk. And ironically, we call it spacewalks, but you really don't use your legs. You use your arms and your upper extremities to be able to move around. And I was holding on to a gyroscope that weighed 650 or uh, kilograms or roughly 1,200 pounds, holding this in two hands. So typically um, I would start off by running six miles or so, so an aerobic workout of some sort followed by uh, some resistive training, weight training for about an hour, an hour and a half or so. And that was generally followed by stretching. And I'll have to admit that I I sometimes at the end of the workout would not stretch as much as I should have. So I need more flexibility training. But uh, these days, you know, when I go to the gym, I start off with usually 30 minutes or so of aerobics on treadmill and things, or it could be some of these climbing walls that they have now, which are really incredible workouts. Yeah, because it's both upper body and lower body. And then I go from that generally to either the machines or free weights for an hour, an hour and a half or so, but I'm still able to do that. And occasionally, I'll pull my spacewalk workout out of the filing cabinet and I'll look at it and go, okay, this number of sit-ups I have to do, this number of push-ups, et cetera, just to test myself to see if I can still do it.
0: And you stretch.
2: I do stretch now. I try.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, Dave, thank you so much for writing Defying Limits. As Diane said, it was so inspiring and so motivating, and there were so many lessons that I took away from it and areas that I highlighted, underlined, and notes that I made for myself. So highly encourage all of our listeners to pick up a copy of Defying Limits, Lessons from the Edge of the Universe by Dr. Dave Williams. And before we go, I want to wrap with our lightning round. And so recent book or author who has impacted how you see the world.
2: Trust by David Johnson, all about trust. If you don't have trust, you don't have anything. Mm. Have to pick that up.
0: Yes. Last thing you did that scared you?
2: You know, the last thing I did that scared me was going for my medical, where I wait for the results of the blood test to see whether or not the cancer has come back. And even though it's been 15 years, I still have this trepidation wondering, you know, when I open the envelope, what's gonna be inside? And I just went about a month ago and everything's Mm. fine. Oh,
0: good news. Habit or skill most people don't know about you.
2: Well, that's interesting. I I love the outdoors. So I love hiking, I love being in the outdoors. And uh, so whether it's hiking or cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, scuba diving, sailing or anything, I just love that. And particularly there's nothing better than climbing up a mountain, sitting on the top of the mountain, watching the sun go down. It's absolutely spectacular.
0: Favorite place to go on vacation?
2: Mm, That's a tough one. You know, I would say uh, different cities. So, New York City, one of my favorite cities to go to. Paris is another one of my favorite cities. London, for the bookstores, the old books, mm-hmm. oh, it's just out in the museums. <laughs> so, it's tough to pick one particular place.
0: We and often hear that. Yes, mm. we do. And what makes you most hopeful about the future?
2: When I have an opportunity to mentor younger people and uh, I gave a talk on mentorship at a local uh, community college and the people in the room were all between ages of 20 and 30 and you interact with those individuals and talk to them about their dreams and their ideas their hopes and things that they're trying to do for the future we are in really good shape and I think what's really exciting is the next generation is willing to ask the tough questions they're willing to push and say we need to find new solutions because in fact globally we're all in this together and we're going to have to figure out how to work together collaboratively to take on some of these challenges.
1: Well this um, this interview with you this meeting with you was so meaningful to us and to all our listeners I am sure Uh, for those who are interested uh, please uh, look up dr. David uh, Dave Williams on the internet and uh, several articles and YouTube videos and there's a number of resources there and of course get a copy of his book, Defying Limits. I assure you it is a great read and uh, it will keep you on the edge of your seat. So we thank you so, so much, Dave. And um, hopefully we will do this again when you launch your next book.
2: Well, thanks very much for having me. It's been a spectacular opportunity to chat about what it's like being in space, underwater, and some of the opportunities to learn lessons that have helped me throughout my career. So thank you.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to rate and review our podcast in the Apple or Google Podcast Store. Additionally, we are excited to give you the chance to win a copy of Dr. Dave Williams' book, Defining Limits. Here's how to enter. Head over to our Instagram page, at Corporate Class, follow us, and like the Defying Limits post. Comment on the post sharing a key insight you took away from listening to our interview with Dr. Williams. Our lucky winner will be chosen at random from the comments. Good luck.
1: All of the details can be found in the show notes for today's episode.
0: Every morning, set your intentions toward your dreams. Some may refer to goals. We like the word dreams. It sounds more exciting and not so hard to think about. We hope to meet you in person one day at one of our workshops, or you may even decide that private coaching is more for you.
1: We encourage you to go to our website at corporateclassinc.com for additional resources, blogs, and videos that you may find to help enhance your confidence and your presence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. It's complimentary. Thank you for listening to Power Up Your Presence podcast, the passion, the presence the power. Until next time, power up,
0: step up, lead up.